So we will be once again here tonight a little uh, all over the board as far as just different scripture references. I may ask for your help in reading some of the references as we get into this here tonight. Um, and so there's not a particular place for you to turn to in the Bible as of right now. Um, but we will get there throughout the evening. Evangelism. Okay, we talked about a lot the last couple of weeks. As I've mentioned before, our studies have very much connected one with the other. Of course, the Lord has a way of doing that as we spent time in Genesis, as we've been going through Matthew. We see there uh, the importance of living life on mission, living life for Christ, being engaged in the work of the Great Commission. But we're also faced with a lot of challenges as we've considered it over the last several weeks and even over the last two weeks, what we're to do with that, right? And if you recall, the importance for us in sharing the truth of the gospel is we must have a proper perspective. We've considered perspective a lot here lately. The fact is the good news, the gospel message must be the greatest news in our lives. For you to go out and convincingly and with conviction share the gospel of Jesus Christ, it needs to be the greatest news to you. And yes, there are times in our lives where we've got different things going on and we may be struggling a little bit with discouragement and, and other things, but there's really no way around it. The gospel needs to be the greatest news in our lives. And if it's not, it's not about experiencing a sense of condemnation. Oh, you know, I'm a terrible person. But no, go. we need to evaluate that and say, well, Lord, what's getting in the way? What's clouding my perspective? What's causing me to look at other things in life with greater hope? What's causing me to hope in other things in my life for encouragement beyond the good news of Jesus Christ? And so we've got to be willing to allow the Lord to search our hearts and to evaluate our perspective. So the good news must be the greatest news. And remember, as we consider the different points there about who God is and when we're struggling with our perspective, when things are clouding our view, we need to remember God is good. We need to remember that God is good. Life is hard. God is sovereign. God is all wise and God is all powerful. You've heard those points several times here over the last three weeks. And I will tell you that for me, as, I, as I've just interacted with a lot of people, and maybe you've done the same, I've found myself reminding myself of this and reminding others of this quite a bit lately. That, hey, God is good and life is hard. But God's sovereign and all-wise and all-powerful and He's at work. Let's remember that and let's make sure we get our perspective straightened out. Think back to this past Sunday even, as we considered the topic of doubt in our study of Matthew 11. And remember, doubt is different than unbelief. Doubt's different. Doubt is something that's natural in our lives as believers. Doubt comes from a place of faith, but a desire to be certain of the things that we believe, whereas unbelief is a conscious decision to reject Christ and the truth of Scripture. And it's okay to express doubts as long as we express those doubts to Jesus. That we take those doubts to Him. The way that John the Baptist did in his doubting, sending a question to Jesus. Now granted, that was in the, in the physical, right? John the Baptist had the ability to go to a disciple and say, hey, go, go talk to Jesus. But it's no different for us. We sometimes think it's different, but it's not. We have the ability to take those same doubts to Jesus because of the work of 
upon the cross, that veil was torn in the temple, and we have the ability to boldly go before the throne through the power of the Spirit. We can take those doubts to Jesus. So we take your doubt to Jesus, and then you allow Him to speak to you so that, and these were the three R's we considered on Sunday, so that you can remember His works. As we draw near to Him, He draws near to us. He begins to work in us and remind us of the things that He has done. And we repent of our doubt. That is, we turn from it. We turn from doubt into trust, and then we rest in him. These are the important steps for us as we seek to live our lives for Christ, as we seek to be on fire for Christ, as we say, hey, I want to live my life for him and I want to tell other people about him. These need to be the things we're doing in our lives so that we have that right perspective. And as we then come to a place of right perspective, let's really then consider the practice of evangelism. And that's where we're going to come to tonight. The practical component then of going, okay, I'm in a good place. I'm rightly seeing things the way that I should see them. The good news of the gospel is the greatest news in my life. It truly is, though I deal with discouragement, though there's different things that come my way. Ultimately, I'm saying, Lord, yes, this is the greatest news. You have changed my life. I remember your works, Lord. I have chosen to trust in you. I've dealt with doubts in my life. I'm resting in you, Lord, allowing you to show me and to teach me how to live my life for you. And I want to tell others because we're living in a time where others need to hear about you, Lord where I'm dealing with people every day, Lord, that are discouraged, that are in despair. I just read another article today, and this like famous last words, right? I just read another article. All this reading reveals so many things to us, and it has the, it has the ability to really depress us. And I read an article today just about how significant the mental health issue is right now. I mean, on a, on a weekly basis, more and more reports coming in. And they're, and they're taking data from all over the place, whether it's from physicians' assistants and, and doctors and the prescriptions that they're writing, to the actual uh, visits to the doctor's office and why, to even reports from dentists because of teeth grinding and, and cracked teeth because of stress and chronic stress and I mean they're looking at statistics from all across the board and it's just continuing to show us that people are struggling right now people are stressed right now and the physiological impacts that it's having and we are struggling with some of those same things and so we've got to put scripture into practice and work through these things and keep our eyes on Jesus but then remember that we've been blessed with the opportunity to go hey there's hope let me tell you about Jesus Let me tell you about my faith. Right now, we've got an incredible opportunity to do that. And there are a variety of ways that we can do that, but we've got to get confident in those ways. And so as we come to this place, we've got to consider, again, the practice of evangelism and know also that, collectively, we often fail at it. There are some who have become, man, they are gifted in evangelism, and through their practice, they have become those who are just, man, they're great at it, and they do it consistently. But by and large, most people say, man, I often fail at this. I often miss the opportunity. And we need to collectively just go, okay, yeah, that's true. That's true of me. It's true of us collectively on a regular basis. And so because of that, then, we don't allow condemnation to come in. It's not about then saying, oh, well, what miserable failures are we? Because that does no good. That's not going to get us anywhere. That's going to be us taking our eyes off Jesus, putting our eyes back on ourselves, and getting improper perspective and having to go through that process again. 
So whether lack of perspective, which we dealt with, or apathy, or lack of compassion, or lack of gospel knowledge, or really the number one factor, as we considered last week, which is fear, we do often fail to put the Great Commission into practice. And so if we all struggle with it, then what we need to begin to do is say, well, let's help one another in this work, either to get over it and to get over the fear, or to get through it. Because remember, and this quote, of course, is attributed to several different people, but this idea that courage is not the absence of fear, right? But rather being scared to death and doing it anyways. And that might be a combination of both FDR and John Wayne, I think. Maybe I took those two and put them together, but I like that one the most. Why do we, why do, we do it? Why do we muster up the courage to say, I need to tell this person about Christ because lives are on the line. That's why. At the end of the day, that's what we need to remember and to continually convince ourselves of is because lives are on the line and because Jesus gave his life for this message and for this work so we can at least get over our fear of rejection. Right? I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. Can't we do that for him? So when it comes to evangelism, like we discussed last time, there are really three ways that you share the gospel. And some people, I suppose, could debate this or say, I think there's four ways or whatever, but I think they come back to the same principles here. The first of which, as we talked about, was family evangelism. So there is evangelism that's happening within the context of the family. Timothy is a great example. We considered that. If you go and you read uh, 2 Timothy, you see many different references to Timothy's growing up in the faith that he saw the faith that was demonstrated to him by his mother and his grandmother. And so in the case of Timothy, he saw it lived out. It was on display and it impacted him. And so parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, those of you who maybe have influential roles in other family members' lives, for one reason or another, live it out. Practice your faith. Live it out. I mentioned a study by Barna Research that said that, and it was a recent study, I don't know the exact year, but that study of those who grew up in Christian homes but have since left the church, the number one reason why, because they didn't see it lived out. They said, I didn't see, my, my parents talked about faith, but I didn't see it. I didn't regularly see them in prayer or in uh, the study of God's Word. I didn't see them make decisions based off of their faith. It just seemed like something they said. And some would say, well, you know, that, uh, those poor parents, you know, they don't want to uh, feel guilty about that, right? And, and yes, absolutely. Listen, we'll talk about this in other contexts as well, that, that ultimately an individual needs to, to make that decision to follow Jesus Christ, right? It's the Holy Spirit that draws them under repentance, and they're the one that then, in response to that, chooses, okay? And so there are many in the church today faithfully living for Christ and who have wayward children, prodigal children. Okay? So it's not about putting all the blame on the parents, but what about in those situations when it was just about legalism and religion in the home? And so we have the opportunity right now, where no matter where you're at, to say, hey, I'm going to live it out. I'm going I'm to live out my faith, and so we need to practice it. Okay? And so that is a form of evangelism. And then we considered the second one, which is friendship or relationship evangelism. In many respects, this is really a mix between friendship evangelism and the third, which is contact evangelism. And I say that because uh, you've got friendship evangelism where you're living your life out, kind of like the family one there, right? You're, you're trusting that people are seeing the way that you're living your life, but you also need to be bolder in certain settings where you truly share the gospel 
gospel message and you find that moment to insert yourself into somebody's life and ask them those questions. That too happens in family evangelism, but it's not necessarily maybe that sort of kind of awkward moment that everything has been building to because again, you're with these people on a daily basis and hopefully it's more natural for you to be able to have those conversations. And so that's friendship evangelism. And, and again, we need to make sure that we don't just settle into, well, I'm just going to constantly demonstrate my life, but I'm never going to talk to them about Christ, never going to talk to them about the gospel. We have to get to a place where that conversation shifts and you are able to, to say, hey, I, I need to talk to you about something that's very important. And then finally, as I mentioned, there's the third form, which is contact evangelism. You could also call this street witnessing, right? Uh, Where in a limited amount of time, you boldly share the truth of the gospel with a perfect stranger. And this can be uh, fairly terrifying, certainly. Uh, It can often be terrifying when you're sharing the gospel with anybody. We've established that. Fear is the number one reason why people don't do it. But especially when you just go and approach a perfect stranger, that can feel a little awkward, right? But there are times and places where we should absolutely do this, whether we've set aside time for it, where we as, as, as small groups have gone out from the church before and said, hey, let's go hit the farmer's market or let's go over to the Walmart parking lot or wherever, go to Sand Hills and just share the gospel with people. And so there's times when we, when we do that or it may be a time when you're just you know, led of the Holy Spirit and you're sitting at lunch one day or you're, uh, you're on the bus or wherever it is and you just know, hey, here's an opportunity for me to, uh, to speak truth into someone's life. So beyond then, the practice of learning how to approach someone or some of, some of the tools that we need to know, um, we've got to develop these things, right? And so we have to, as we consider practical evangelism tonight, and we talked about this a little bit last week, we considered briefly, how would I approach someone, right? How, how, do, I, how do I begin that conversation? What are some of the ways that I can break the ice? What are some of the, the methods, the, the gospel tracks? I was pleased that a lot of them disappeared last Wednesday night. A lot of the gospel tracks were gone, which is a good thing. And I, and I hope you used some of them throughout this last week. So beyond that, which we'll consider again, we need to get comfortable with a couple of different things. First of which, what are the foundations of the biblical gospel that need to be shared? So again, we can think about evangelism and here's how we approach the conversation. Here's a way for us to go, oh, I've got a a gospel tract and hey, did you get one of these? And that helps me to, to approach someone. But when you get the chance then to share with them, what is it that you are sharing? We need to make sure that we are sharing a sound biblical gospel. Galatians 1, 8. That's serious business right there, right? Paul, dealing with false teachers in the Galatian church, says, if anyone else, even an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Now yes, Paul here is dealing with false teachers whose aim is really to subvert the gospel and to teach a false gospel. So I'm not suggesting that if you go out tomorrow and share the gospel with somebody and you miss a step, that suddenly you need to be like, oh, what has just happened to me, right? Thunder and lightning is going to come down and, and consume me. Uh, that's not it, but it should convey to us the importance of making sure, do I, do I know the, the biblical components of, of a true gospel, right? So we need to consider that. And then secondly, how do we share our testimony? Because inevitably, your testimony is a key part of many witnessing encounters. Maybe not all, 
but generally it comes into play. And we've got to know how to share that testimony, how to, how to share what it is that God has done in our lives. 1 Peter 3.15 Always be ready to give an answer or to give a defense to anyone who asks you what? For the reason of the hope that is in you. And so 1 Peter 3.15 can absolutely be used as a verse to kind of support the importance of apologetics. That kind of scares some people sometimes, right? Many of you have probably convinced yourself that in order to go out and share the gospel that you need to be the next Ken Ham, right? That I can just, I can answer any question. I could debate anybody on a big stage on the topic of Christianity. And then you go, well, no, I can't do that. My goodness. And then you think, I, I probably shouldn't even bring anything up. Listen, yes, apologetics is awesome. And we should, we should practice apologetics. We should study. We should, I mean, Scripture also tells us study to show thyself approved, a worker who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, right? We should know it. But here's what I want to encourage you with. Your testimony is really all you need because your testimony is yours. It's your account of how God has worked in your life. Nobody can take that away from you. And that's a powerful thing when you're able to share with somebody, here's what God has done in my life. Now, whether they accept that or reject that, hey, that's on them, not on you, okay? So that's the greatest way is for us to be able to say, here's the reason for the hope that is within me. It's what he's done in my life, right? But there is a way where we can share that and be confident in sharing that. So let's start first with this, the foundations of the gospel, okay? Four things. Now, again, we could sit here and we could say, okay, I, you know, here's, here's all of the different details that we could put within a, a gospel presentation, but I would submit to you tonight that there are some important basics, foundations. First, God loves you and wants you to experience peace and eternal life. Okay? It can also be stated God loves you and has a plan for your life. This is truth. This is the first thing. If you're sharing with someone, here's the gospel. Listen, God loves you. And he wants you to experience peace in eternal life. How do we know this? John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you. John 10.10 The enemy came to steal and to kill and to destroy but I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. God wants you to have abundant life so much so that He sent His Son. That's step number one. Two, there's a problem. What is that problem? Sin, very good. Sin separates us from God. Romans 3.23, right? And Romans 6.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Okay, so you guys are working on your mem scripture memorization, if even just the verse reference, right? So you know where to go in your Bible. Now here's the other component of this, and this is sort of like a sub-bullet to number two if you want and this is how the conversation goes oftentimes, is whether you know it or not, you're likely trying to bridge that gap between you and God. Because sin has separated you from your Creator, and it's left a hole in your life and in your heart. And you've probably been trying to fill that with a lot of different things, right? I mean, there's rarely that I've ever met a person who hasn't said yes even if they're not at a place yet where they're willing to really recognize the existence of God, they recognize the existence of a void in their life and a pursuit of trying to fill that. Proverbs 14, 12, I can't remember that one. There is a way that seems right to a man and what? And in the end, it's destruction. 
And so for those who are trying constantly to pursue something, oh, this feels right, this feels right, this feels right. Where is it? Where has it led you? Has it really accomplished what you thought it would? So, number one, God loves you, has a plan for your life. Two, sin, that's a problem. Sin separated you from God. We come to number three, there's good news, right? There's good news. Take them back once again to John 3.16, okay? That's good news. Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, he died for us. So God loves you, has a plan for your life. Problem is, sin has separated you from God. Three, there's good news. Four, receive Christ. It's about your response. How do you want to respond to this? Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now again, there's a lot of different things that you might have the opportunity to share with someone, and we'll even consider that, some of that here shortly, especially as it relates to your testimony. But there are some basic foundations that need to be incorporated into a gospel presentation. God loves you. Sin has separated you. Jesus has restored that relationship if you believe in him. It is a simple message, isn't it? But do we have the resources at our disposal and or the confidence in articulating that, that when we're in that moment and your heart's maybe racing a million miles a, a second, right? That you can go, okay, one, two, three, four. So again, it's okay to have cheat sheets right here. Steps to peace with God. Look at this, God's purpose, peace, and life. Number two, you've been separated from, from God because of your sin. And there's scripture references right in there, right? And number three, here's God's cross and it's spanned the gap, right? It's bridged you and God because of Jesus Christ. And so how will you respond to what it is that he has done for you? Okay? And then here's a prayer on how to receive Christ. You can use this as a tool they have available to you. Now those are foundational components. Okay? And whether you have a gospel tract uh, that you can get in someone's hands, that, you know, again, you're just, maybe it's just, just like the boys the other night, hey, did you get one of these? It's a gospel tract and, and Jesus loves you and that's it. And the, and the guy takes it and and he's reading it. Who knows? Maybe he tossed it in the trash after that. Maybe he put it in his pocket. We don't know. Okay. But if you're able to get one into somebody's hands and they, and they read it, or you're able to share that, you're able to, to actually be able to share a, a gospel presentation with someone, albeit very brief, praise God. Okay. Th- that's part of the mission right there. Sometimes it's not much more than that. We can absolutely go out with the expectation, Lord, I want to Man, I want to see people get saved. I want to go down to the farmer's market and I want to see a thousand people on their knees repenting. Awesome. <laughs> Let's pray for that. But if you go in, I mean, you can go in with that expectation, but you need to just prepare yourself that that might not happen that way, right? That sometimes it's going to be literally, hey, hey, I, I'd really like for you to just consider this. And somebody reads it. And remember and have confidence that it's the Holy Spirit that does the work, Okay. But here's one of the things that we need to consider. Our approach can really help make a difference. Okay? So there is a time and a place, and sometimes it's the only option we have to just say, hey, did you get one of these? And they're gone. Or even at our, uh, you know, we went out to dinner the other night, and I left a, a gospel track with the waiter. He did a great job. We did our best to be very polite and respectful throughout the course of the evening. And, hey, we tipped well. Okay, I told you. So we, I think, I, I think it was like 23%, okay? So I'm calling that good, all right? And, uh, and we left the, the gospel track with them and just wrote on the receipt, hey, God bless you, thanks for your service tonight. I don't know, but that's just what I felt led to do in that moment. 
And so, again, uh, sometimes that's it. But other times, our approach can really make a difference in where we get with someone. And part of that is your testimony, and we'll consider that here next. But also even your lead-in technique, okay? Your approach, your literal approach to the conversation. So I shared a method last week that I think in my opinion, works really well that I've leveraged many times. And this method is biblical. If you look at uh, John chapter 4 and the account of Jesus with the woman at the well, you'll see there that Jesus takes the conversation successfully from the material to the spiritual. And he uses questions that pierce the woman's conscience. I'd encourage you to go through and, and, and read through that chapter to see what Jesus does. We're, most of us are familiar with the account of the woman at the well, but if you really look at it from the perspective of, a, of evangelism and see what Jesus does, okay, it's pretty impressive. And it's the way of the master evangelism training that I think captures this well and really suggests this method and gives us actually something I want to share with you tonight and then we're going to watch a video. Uh, gives us something that we can remember it with. Many of you probably remember the, the what would Jesus do bracelets, right? It's, it's not actually that. Um, but it's WDJD. And these serve as stepping stones for opening the conversation. So the W... Would you consider yourself to be a good person? Hey, excuse me, sir. Do you have a moment? Can, I'd like to ask you a few questions. Well, sure, okay. Uh, would you consider yourself to be a good person? How do people typically reply? Yes. We've all convinced ourselves, most people, that we're a pretty good person. Occasionally you get one who says no, and it's like, well, praise the Lord. This is maybe going to be a different, <laughs> different conversation, right? God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Occasionally you may come up on somebody that's like, I'm a terrible person. Okay, tell me more. Tell me why, right? Maybe that's going to be an easier conversation. Generally, they're going to say, yes, I do. So from there, you'd go from W, would you consider yourself to be a good person, to D, well, let me ask you, do you think you have kept the Ten Commandments? And a lot of people say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have the opportunity to go through the Ten Commandments with them. Typically, you only have to get through a few. Sometimes you may need to get through more before a person really starts to bend on that. But have them recite for you a few of the Ten Commandments. Which ones do you know? And you've kept those? And we'll see a great example of this here shortly. So that's, would you consider yourself to be a good person? Do you think you have kept the Ten Commandments? J is judgment. If God judges you by the Ten Commandments on the Day of Judgment, would you be innocent or guilty? Typically, you'll get a variety of responses. A lot of times, you'll still get innocent because God forgives you, right? Oh, well, God forgives. Okay, well, if, and this is where you need to maybe go into the, if God is a good judge, if he's doing his job, and you've said you're guilty, right? And kind of get him to go to that place. So would you consider yourself to be a good person? Do you think you kept the Ten Commandments? And then if God judges you by the Ten Commandments on the Day of Judgment, would you be innocent or guilty? And then finally, D, destiny, Will you go to heaven or hell? Now, again, you may have to kind of go back and forth with the person, but oftentimes a person would say, well, if, if it, maybe it's even, if, if hell really exists, I suppose I'd go to hell. What well, does that concern you? And again, remember, if doubts on our part, even doubts that we express, aren't necessarily something that, you know, that is an offense to God, but rather that we can take to God, well, then it's okay for you to play the game a little bit and to say, okay, you're saying if hell exists. Well, what if you're wrong? What if I'm wrong? Let's say that I'm wrong. I believe in Jesus, but let's say that I'm wrong. What's that mean for me? It means I've tried to live my life in accordance with Scripture, and 
If I'm dead, I'm dead, just like this person says, right? Whatever. But if you're wrong, there's a lot at stake. So we're going to go ahead and watch a uh, clip here. It's about seven minutes long. It's a little bit, I think you've got, sound is good, but the, the picture quality is a little poor. Some of you may have seen this before, but it's a, it's a great video. All right. Would you approach them on Santa Monica Pier? <laughs> maybe, maybe not, right? Think about it, though. I mean, even, even think about so much of everything else we've been considering, especially in this year, in terms of how divided we are as a country. And here's Kirk Cameron, by the way. If those of you familiar with Way of the Master, you know that's Kirk Cameron. Maybe some of you just learned that for the first time. You know, we may see groups of people that we go, man, I, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to approach them. I don't know if this is going to turn out well for me, right? But by the leading of the Holy Spirit and understanding that God, <laughs> God sovereignly protects us too. You never know what's going to turn out like in that situation. And we'll come back to that here shortly because there's another part of that that's pretty cool, okay? You can see how the approach to the conversation really engaged the listeners, right? And, and there w- it wasn't just Mario who he was talking to. There was other people who maybe weren't experiencing the same heart transformation that Mario was, but they were listening. He invited them in to answer questions and the inevitable piercing of their conscience. And then, because of that, now the good news is even greater news. Because they're more aware of, I've fallen short of God's law, of his standard. So, now, part of a witnessing encounter is also being able to succinctly share your story, okay? Again, 1 Peter 3.15, giving a reason for the hope that is in you. So what are the key components of a succinct testimony? And I mean, we're talking just like the question of who is Jesus, 60 seconds, right? And many of you may say, how in the world can I share my testimony in 60 seconds? You don't have to do that every time. Sometimes it may be longer than that, but sometimes you need to be able to say it quickly. There's three components to your testimony. They are very simple, okay? One, who were you before Christ? Two, When and how did you come to know Jesus? Three, what's your life been like since? That's it. Now, yes, to make it shorter or longer, you may include more and more of the details or fewer of the details. But think about, uh, for the sake of time, just write down Acts chapter 26. That's one of the most complete testimonies we have from the Apostle Paul. And in Acts 26, what what does he basically say? To summarize here, this is where... He's standing before King Agrippa, right? If you read through the whole chapter, what Paul essentially does is he says, this is who I was. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me. And then what does he say? And then I was on the road to Damascus, verse 14. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And then after that, jump towards the end of the chapter, verse 19, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus. And he goes on to say, here's how God's used me since. He gives us a pattern for his testimony, and it's there in one chapter. But think even of the blind man in John chapter 9. Remember the blind man? And this was one where Jesus spit and he rubbed it on his eyes and he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And then, because the Pharisees were so angry, they're like, Jesus is a sinner. Let's track this man down. We need to understand what happens here. And what does the blind man tell tell the Pharisees? I don't know what you want to hear. I don't know exactly what to tell you. All I can tell you is I was blind, and now I see. That's all he needed to tell. They 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 get the parents, and they question the parents, and they say, he's an adult. You go talk to him. I was blind, 
Now I see. So I want to look at another video here, which it's not perfect on the part of the individual. They need a little help from the narrator. But I think you'll see a good example here of a testimony, and it'll even encourage you as we consider the first evangelism encounter. Amen? How cool is that? I love that. So again, I mean, here's a man who's saying, at first it was, he didn't say that, he didn't say that, Jesus didn't say that, right? I mean, he was, he was part of a gang, he's rejecting everything, but then he starts to quiet down and he hears the gospel. Kirkwood isn't even talking directly to him, but he hears the truth of the gospel. And who knows what happened over the course of those five years? But seeds were planted. And now he's saying, I was this way, but now I'm this way. And here's what God's doing in my life. So that's a great example of a simple testimony for each of you, but also an encouragement to you that as you're doing these things, you never know what's going to happen. I cannot imagine that Kirk left that interaction that day and thought, man, that guy that was really mad at me for a moment, I'm sure he's going to get saved soon. Probably didn't even cross his mind. Till later on, the Lord blesses him with the opportunity to, to see some fruit from the ministry. And it's no different for any of you, okay? Let's be obedient in this work. Amen? Let me pray for you guys. Father, thank you again, Lord, for our time tonight. It's wonderful to consider these things, Lord, and to be able to encourage one another in the work of evangelism. Help us to be more bold, Lord, more diligent. Um, And Lord, may none of us, Lord, uh, operate out of a sense of guilt or condemnation. Those those things are not of you. Um, But conviction, yes, Lord. And uh, we ought to feel convicted. Um, We have an incredible... uh, truth to share with the rest of the world. And uh, so, Lord, help us to do that with, again, with boldness, uh, with courage, Lord, even in the face of fear. And, uh, um, and Lord, bless us in that work. We, we, we know that we are, Lord, when we do it. Um, the, the blessings we experience are incredible. And so, um, Lord, help us in this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God bless you guys. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.